Why don't you turn in your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to read Exodus chapter 2, 1 through 10. And we are in a new series, a new series called Forged in Fire. Can you look to your neighbor and say, Forged in Fire? Now look to your neighbor and in your best um, James Bond accent, say, Forged in Fire. Okay, forged in fire. And so we are talking through the book of Exodus. Specifically, we're, we're kind of leading up to the story of Moses. And last week we started our series, and we talked about how um, in Exodus chapter 1, there was persecution and multiplication. And it was kind of this weird mix and how often in persecution, God multiplies. We talked about that. And also, then also we talked about the sovereignty of God sovereignty of God. And so, um, so yeah, Exodus is, an, an, is, a, is a very interesting book. Exodus means the road out of or the way out. How many of you guys want a way out this morning? How many of you guys want a road out of whatever you're going through this morning? Raise your hand. Maybe some of you guys are going through some difficult times. It's okay. You can raise your hand and um, you want a way out. You want a road out. And that's what the book of Exodus is all about. And so, we're going to read a couple of verses here, and then um, I have a couple of quick points for you. And I'll have you. We'll be out of here in about five minutes, okay? Just kidding. It'll be a couple minutes. Yeah, praise the Lord. Bunch of amens. Okay, so Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, A man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the, women, the woman conceived and bore a son, And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Now, it's kind of interesting. Um, Moses actually wrote this book, and he's calling himself a beautiful child. Isn't that funny? So he's like, he had a child, and this child was beautiful, special. He was talking about himself. Amen? How many of you guys like to give yourself a pat on the back every now and then? Um, But yes, here, it's ironic. He's calling himself a beautiful, beautiful child. Um, And a lot of parents think that about their kids anyways. But anyway, beautiful child. Um, And and, and you kind of wonder, okay, so this this lady had a son, and she hid him for three months. Why did she hide him? Why did she hide him? Well, if you weren't here last week, last week we talked through Exodus chapter 1. And what happened in Exodus chapter 1 is there was a new pharaoh who came about who did not know about Joseph. And we talked a little bit about the story of Joseph, but um, you you can go back and listen to it online if you need to. But there was a a new pharaoh who came, didn't know about Joseph, and uh, Israel was growing. It was like a nation growing within a nation, and this pharaoh became, like, nervous about this nation that was growing up. And so he began to punish them ruthlessly. He made them do hard work and hard labor, and he was doing all sorts of toil. And one of the things that he um, proclamated was that um, any Hebrew boys that were born— he proclamated that they must be thrown into the Nile River. And so, um, so yeah, it's kind of a dark time. And so in this, we see this, this man and this woman from the tribe of Levi conceived a son. And um, kind, of a, kind of a rough time to have a child when, when, when there was this proclamation that, that uh, baby boys should be thrown into the Nile. And how many of you guys know uh, having kids is never an easy task? You know, if you've ever had a child, thank you, Joe, for raising your hand. If you've had a child... You know it's difficult. You know it's hard. Um, you know it's but and, and, and sometimes it, it, it sometimes it seems like there's never a perfect time to have a child. You know what I'm talking about? 
Like, you, it's like, you know, you talk to people and you find out that they had a kid and they're like, this was totally unplanned. In fact, I heard like 50-some percent of pregnancies are unplanned. And so it, it, it's weird. It, it hardly seems like there's ever a perfect time to have a child. But in this dark time, back in history, there was this child that was born and God had a plan for this child that was born. And God had an idea for this child that was born. And in his sovereignty, he knew that this child was going to be born at this dark time in history, specifically for this child. And I would argue that even in life's darkest hours, throughout history's darkest hours, God wants us to have kids because our kids are a light to this dark world. You know what I'm talking about? And so you can see this not only happening in Exodus chapter 2, we can also see this happening in the Gospels when Jesus was born because Herod issued a verdict that all the newborn baby boys were to be killed. And we can see that at the darkest times in history, God is still working and God is still moving and his sovereignty is still there and God cares about children, amen? And God cares about babies and, and they're precious to him. And so anyways, we keep on reading. But when she... But when she could hide him no longer, she took an ark of of bulrushes for him, dubbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the the maiden went and called the child's mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the women took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she, and, uh, so, the, so the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, because I drew him up, I drew him out of the water. So two people have a baby, a baby that wasn't supposed to live. The mother makes an ark puts him in the water, and ironically, the Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Isn't it? Does anyone see the irony in this? The very edict that the Pharaoh was trying to, like the thing that he was trying to stop, what was, what was happening in his very own household? The irony of the passage. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have this great opportunity to Uh, Just be here in your presence this morning, Father. I pray that you will move in a new and a special way this morning. God, may you get all the glory and the praise. God, even though this story was written so many years ago, we know that it still has truths for us today. And we know that you are still sovereign. And we know that you are still in the business of delivering people and saving people. And you're still in the business of doing the impossible and picking people out of the weeds and using them for your glory and using them for your for your pleasure father god we know that it's in um, our weakness that you're made strong and so even even when things seem impossible even when the world seems dark and 
grim, God, we know that you are reigning sovereignly over us and that you have everything in control. God, even when it seems like maybe you don't see us or you don't know um, or we don't know that you're there, God, we, we know that you're there. Um, where can we hide or where can we flee from your presence? If we go into the, uh, the depths of the sea, you're there. If we go to the highest mountain, you're there, God. And we, we thank you for, for, for being there for us and for loving us, God. And we thank you for your word, which is so powerful. Amen. So I was thinking about naming this message, Three Women and a Baby. And then I realized that there was a movie named Three Women and a Baby that I guess wasn't very good. And so um, I'm not even going to name it that. But, but, but it's interesting because um, when I read this passage, I was looking at the main figures in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I was looking at the main figures in the story, and it involved Moses' sister, who we found out later her name is Miriam. It involves Pharaoh's daughter, and it involves um, Moses' mother. So Moses' mother, and her name is Jochebed. Uh, uh, so Moses' mother, Jochebed. Moses' sister, Miriam. Pharaoh's daughter. And it also involves a baby named Moses. And it's interesting, too, because when you... Um, read a little bit more about Moses, you realize that Moses isn't even the oldest in his family. He has an older brother named Aaron. So we have two young women. We have his mother, and we have baby Moses, who isn't even the oldest in his family. So kind of an unlikely group of characters that are in this passage of Scripture. In fact, um, kind of an odd group of characters. You know, back in biblical times, it was Typically, I don't know, when you think about deliverers and you think about people that would come and do great things, um, you wouldn't think of a mother, uh, two young women, and a baby bringing about God's delivery to these people that had been enslaved for 400 years. But here God is using interesting characters to bring about his will and to save his people and to bring about his plan. Now, um, when I was looking at this passage, a couple things stuck out to me. If you go back to Exodus chapter 2, go back to the verse 1, look at the first verse again. It says, A man of the house of Levi went out and took a wife, uh, a daughter of Levi. Can you look at your neighbor and say, Levi? Now look to your other neighbor and say, Levi, Levi. Yeah, so, so I feel like this is the introduction to Moses' family. And it seems odd to me that in introducing his family um, in this passage of Scripture that he doesn't use their names. You thought about that? Isn't that interesting? Like he just says, hey, they're of the house of Levi and a wife. So there was a man uh, from the house of Levi and there was a wife, a daughter of Levi. I find it interesting that he doesn't use their name. In fact, you don't find out later in Scripture that it's Jacobid and Amram nice names, huh? You don't find out later until it's Jacobed and Amram. But he doesn't even use their names. He just says, oh, this person is from the tribe of Levi, and this other person is from the tribe of Levi. Now, if, if you were introducing your parents to someone, would you introduce them as, um, so my, I think it's my great, great, great uh, grandfather's name was, was Tor, Tor Distad, Thor Distad, like the, you know, like the superhero, Thor Distad. 
So if I met someone and I was like, hey, listen, I want to introduce you to um, my, my father. He is the, 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 the great, great, uh, great, uh, he's the great, great grandson of Thor Distad. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, what's this person's name? Yeah, and this is my mother. She's the great, great granddaughter of, you know, Larry, Larry Curtis. I mean, it's, it's like, okay, so, 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 you're, you're like, so, so what's the significance? Like, why would he say that, uh, why would he use Levi twice? So he use Levi, this person is from the tribe of Levi, and this other person is from the tribe of Levi. So he's trying to um, do something here, and I think when we read it over quickly in the text, we just get excited about the story, and when you see, you know, the little, the little, the little basket, and we, we know what's going to happen next. He's going he's gonna to kill the Egyptian, and then he's going to go. We, we just kind of read over it, and we kind of miss what he's trying to do, okay? And so um, there's a couple different interesting aspects about the name Levi, okay? So there was um, a son of Jacob who went by the name Levi, and um, you read about him first in Genesis chapter 29. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Genesis chapter 29. We're going to read verses 31 through 34. And, and what I'm doing here is I'm going I'm to dig a big hole, okay? And I'm going to plant a seed in it. So hopefully, right now, I'm, hopefully I'm, I'm digging a hole. I'm going to plant a seed, and hopefully, hopefully that seed takes root in your heart. So, so the first time that we can see Levi mentioned is in Genesis chapter 29. Now, um, uh, Levi's dad, Jacob, uh, loved this woman named Rachel. And uh, he was working for uh, his father-in-law named Laban. And he, he said, you know, I'll work for you if I can have Rachel. And so he works for his father-in-law for many years, and his father-in-law tricks him. And instead of giving him Rachel, he gives him Leah. And so um, he's like, oh, great, so you give me Leah. And, and you can kind of tell from the text that Leah maybe isn't so good-looking, and so um, I think the scripture says that she was weak on the eyes. It's like, oh, okay, that's not very nice. You know, so don't compliment your wife later today and say that, okay? Or, 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 or maybe it was like she had, she had gentle eyes. It's, it's something weird like that. So you can tell from the text that maybe she wasn't very attractive. And so um, Laban tricked um, Jacob into taking Leah instead. And um, so um, he marries uh, so he takes Leah, and then he's like, all right, if you want Rachel, you have to work another seven years. And because he loved Rachel so much, he said this, it was like nothing, because he, he just loved her so much. And so he really loved Rachel, but he didn't love Leah. Ah, oh, isn't that sad? And so we see here in the text that Leah, uh, Rachel was barren, but Leah um, was having kids. And so, um, and so in, in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, it says, uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Reuben. And she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Isn't that sad? So she names him Reuben, and she's like, Well, maybe now. And how many of you know? So sometimes, sometimes people think that having children will save a marriage. Have you, have you ever talked, you know, people like, once I have kids, everything's going to be all right? Well, yeah, it's like, it's always like, after this, after this, after this, and but, 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 but I, I, it, it's kind of sad. So anyway, uh, now, now, therefore, my husband will love me. And then she conceived again. So she had her first son that was Reuben. And then she conceived again, 
and she, and, and, uh, and she conceived again, and she bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called him Simeon. So she had Reuben, her first son. Her second son was Simeon. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have bore him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. And Levi means attached, means joint. Um, so if you can imagine being a child and being brought into the world and um, your mother being unloved. And, um, and to top it all off, um, not only is your mother unloved, but also your father uh, seems to love the other lady much more than your mom. And also, when, she, when Rachel conceives a son, Joseph, um, your father is doing, he's doing everything for Joseph and doing nothing for you. I think Levi had some dad issues, and rightly so. It seems like um, Jacob, really, from what you can fr- tell from the text, I don't know if there was ever any real type of relationship there. Um, and so I, from the very beginning, it seems like Levi was kind of messed up. We can read later in Scripture in Genesis chapter 34. And you can turn there if you want to, Genesis chapter 34, verses 25 through 26. Um, Levi's uh, sister, Dinah, was um, essentially raped by a man named Shechem. And um, Levi heard about this, and Levi and his brother Simeon, if you, you can read down in Genesis chapter 34, verses 25 through 29, it says... Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. Uh, they killed Harmer and Shechem, his sons, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon and slain and plundered the city because their sister Dinah had been defiled. And so Levi was, um, he kind of, he was born in affliction and he created um, hardship, and he created like he was he was full of anger, and he was just not a very um, loving character. Um, you can see that he was one of the brothers that sold Joseph into slavery in Genesis chapter 37, and even Jacob's final blessing over Levi. If you look at Genesis chapter 49, verses five through seven, it says, "Simeon and Levi are brothers; they are instruments of cruelty." Um, they are, uh, their instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger, they slew a man. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it will be fierce. And their wrath, for it will be cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So you look at this and it's like, wow, that's kind of interesting that Moses would say, um, this is my, my, there was a man who was from the tribe of Levi, and there was a woman from the tribe of Levi. Like, why would he do that? Why would he mention uh, Levi? I mean, when you think about Levi, again, Levi was kind of crazy. He, he's kind of, his mother was unloved. He was kind of unloved. He, he went out and slaughtered a city. He was, he sold his brother into slavery. Uh, even his father's final blessing over Levi wasn't very good. Why would, he, why would he do that? In fact, 
maybe if someone were to hear that, they would think, wow, like uh, that, you know, oh, you're from the tribe of Levi. Oh, I'm sorry. That's kind of a bummer. Levi. Hmm. Really, I would argue that Levi's life was kind of a mess from start to finish. And yet here Moses is talking about the tribe of Levi twice in Exodus chapter 2. In fact, you look and you can see that Moses was um, the great-grandson of Levi. So this was a close connection. But it's interesting because when you look at Scripture, there's a change with the name of Levi from the book of Genesis into Exodus. In the book of Genesis, you see that the, the name Levi is really... Again, he was a crazy guy who was doing crazy things. And then if you move into the book of Exodus, you can see that there was a change. And you can see that the people of the tribe of Levi, like God had something special in store for them. God set them apart. Um, God used them in amazing ways. God, in fact, if you, there's an entire book about the, 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 the tribe of Levi. You look at the book of Leviticus. They were to be the religious and spiritual leadership for a nation. They were to bridge the gap between God and man. They were to be the mediators. They were the chosen people. And so, I don't know, I guess when I look at it, I see that that even though Moses came from the tribe of Levi, and Levi had a rough and difficult past, like, God could still use that for his glory. Amen? God could still use that for his purposes. God could, God could use someone that came from a d- difficult past, and he could use them to bring about his will, and he could use them to, 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 to bring glory to his people. And so I guess when I read that, I think, man, he was, like, what Moses was saying was that, like, I'm part of God's redemptive purpose. I'm part of God's plan. I, I, I'm, I'm someone that was chosen. I'm someone that's, that, that's going to be used, even though my great-grandfather was Levi, God had a better God has a better plan for me and God has a better plan for our people. God wants to do something special with me and God wants to do something special with you. There was a man from Levi from the tribe of Levi and there was a woman from the tribe of Levi. Interesting. I'm part of God's plan, I'm part of his redemptive purpose. I guess when I read that I just man I think man God God is in control. God knows the inside and the outside. He knows every piece. He knows every portion. He knows every step that we take. It doesn't matter where we came. It doesn't matter the past that we have. God wants to bring redemption to his people. God wants to bring redemption to us. God wants to bring hope and life to us. That's what I see when I read this passage. And I think that's why he decided to talk about the tribe of Levi instead of specifically mentioning his parents' names. It's also also interesting, if you keep on reading, it says, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed it it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. In verse number three, when it says she took a, what does your Bible say? Does your Bible say, does your Bible say a basket? Basket. How many, how many people's Bible says, what does your Bible, how many people say it says basket? How many people's Bible says ark? 
How many people's Bible says basket boat? <laughs> That's the message. Okay. All right. If your Bible says basket, throw it out in the trash. Take the... I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So basket. Some of them say basket. Some of them say ark. And the message says basket boat, which I don't know if that's the best translation. Basket, ark. It's interesting because what I think Moses was doing, um, there are two Hebrew words. Uh, the Hebrew word for, for basket is yala, and the Hebrew word for ark is Tava. Yala for basket, Tava for ark. Yala is mentioned many times in scripture. There are many baskets that are mentioned, but specifically here, it's the Hebrew word Tava for ark. Now, some, some uh, translators decided to use the word basket, and some decided to use the word ark, but really, when you read it, you can see that it's, he specifically used the word ark. Ark. And I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to do a word play. He's trying to draw a connection to Genesis chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 2. Um, he's trying to draw a connection between Noah and the ark and Moses and the ark. And there's actually a lot of similarities. Both of them were rescuers of their people. Both of them brought about redemption. Both of them carried precious cargo. Both of them required obedience and reliance on God. There's a lot of connections between the ark in Genesis and the ark in Exodus. Now, I don't know if you know, but there's actually a difference between a boat and an ark. A boat is something that you'd probably see out on Lake Erie. A boat is something that has a motor. It has a propeller. It's something that has sails. It's something that has a keel. It's something that um, maybe has something to steer it with. It's something that's designed to be controlled. It's meant to take things from one point to another point. It's meant specifically for transportation. A boat is meant to be controlled. If you have your boat and you go out fishing, there's a specific spot that you want to go. There's a specific place that you want to go. Again, a boat takes you from one spot to another spot. It's meant for transportation. An ark, in, in contrast, is an, it, it carries something, but an ark, in contrast, is something that has a flat lid and it has a flat bottom. It's meant to protect something. It's meant for safety, um, but it has no sails and it has no way of maneuvering. An, an ark cannot be controlled. It kind of goes wherever it wants to. Uh, the waves take it somewhere. The winds take it somewhere. Again, it's flat on the top, flat on the bottom. It's interesting that God told Noah to build. He didn't tell him to build a boat. He told him to build an ark. Um, and it's interesting that when Moses was placed in the water um, by his mother, um, she didn't put him in a boat to sail him somewhere but she put him in an ark that was uncontrollable, and the wind took it places, and the water took it places, 
and um, it's, it's, again, it seems kind of strange that she would put him in an ark. She would not put him in a boat. She put him in an ark. She did not put him in a basket. She did not put him in a basket boat, but she put him in an ark, and, he was very, and, she was, and, and Moses was very specific in saying that, listen, I was put in an ark. I wasn't put in a boat, and I wasn't put in a basket. The same word that was used in Exodus is also the same words that is used back in Genesis. Again, I'm kind of digging a hole to plant a seed here. And, and you can see it's kind of like, okay, so why would his parents take precious cargo, and why would they take it, and why would they put him in an ark, and why would they send him out? Jacobin and Amram. And, and it's weird, because you kind of think about a parent putting their child in an ark, putting them in the Nile River, um, and I, I, to me, I kind of question the intelligence of a parent that way. How many of you guys would put your kid in a basket and push him out? In the, I mean, I don't think any of us would. I question the intelligence of someone that would do this. And I wonder, like, why would they do this? And it stumbles me even more because when we read about his parents in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, um, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were afraid of the king's command. To me, it seems interesting that they were actually labeled as people of faith when they would take their child and they would push him out on an ark on the water. But, you know, I guess when I think of parents... I mean, they did it kind of early, but isn't that kind of what we all do? In the sense, it's like we train and we do what we can, and there's a moment where we push and we release and we let God do and, we let, and he's in control. It's like we, we, the, there's the wind and there's the waves, there's the things that are all around us, and we just allow God to take control. You know, it seems like God is in the business of, of, of pulling people out of obscurity and then asking us to relinquish our controls and follow him. He's in the business of, of pulling people out of obscurity and then asking us to relinquish our controls and follow him. Sometimes that can be the most frightening thing. I don't know about you, but I always like to know where I'm going. I always want to know um, every step of the way. When we take a trip, I put in the GPS, and I want to know every step. I want to know every turn. I want to know every I like to know everything. And I think sometimes that's the way I want to be with my life. I want to know exactly what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go and how I'm going to do it. I... I, I, I I want to know, I want to know this, I want to know this, I want to know this, I want to know every step. And I want God to show me every single step. I want him to show me, like I'd like if he would just tell me, Evan, listen, in five years you're going to be here, in 10 years you're going to be here, in 15 years you're going to be here, in 20 years you're going to be here. Evan, this is the person, you know, when I was younger, I was like, Evan, if he would have just told me, Evan, this is the person you're supposed to marry, this is how many kids you're supposed to have, this is the job you're supposed to, like this is what you're supposed to do, this is where you're supposed to go. But isn't it interesting often in Scripture that when God moves and when God speaks, he doesn't give us all the details. 
we just get little piece by little piece. A little blow here, a little blow here, a little wave here, a little wave here. And God just calls us to be faithful. If the worship team could come back up. God, I just thank you that we had this opportunity to be here in your presence this morning. God, I thank you for your stories um, in the book, in the, in the Bible, and I thank you for the story in the book of Exodus, God. I thank you that you used um, an obscure um, man named Levi, someone from his tribe, Joseph, uh, Moses. Um, and, and God, I, I, you used three women and a baby to bring about your will. You pulled them out of obscurity. Um, you pulled them out of, uh, I mean, according to the standards at the time, they, they were nothing, and yet you, you chose them, and you, you picked them for a divine purpose and a divine reason. God, you, 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 you used them to, to deliver your people, which, which is incredible. God, I thank you for that. And God, I thank you that they had the faith to, to, to just be led by you to go out into the wind, to go out into the waves, to uh, trust in you and believe in your divine purposes, God. I pray for those who are here this morning. Maybe there are some who are here that um, have been struggling. Maybe there are some here this morning that um, they feel like they're still in obscurity. Maybe there are some here this morning that feel as, feel as if they need direction. I pray that you will strengthen them and uh, encourage them, Father. I pray that you will use them in your mighty name.